right, welcome again to the That's My Dad podcast. I'm Scott Hilton, your host here with Eddie Nichols. A lot of people know Eddie. Tell us about yourself, Eddie. Oh, where do I begin? Let's see. Old. Uh, been here for a long time. I like that song, Barry Manilow, I've Been Alive Forever. That's kind of the way I, I look at my life these days. But um, thank God every morning for another day of life. But, you know, also thank him for just allowing me to do all these years what he's called me to do. Uh, working with young people. Started way back at the Boys Club in 76, working with, you know, those people you and I were just talking about. Um, and it's just progressed up to now where we're working with uh, all these children across the street at Floyd Elementary at the Dream Center. And I think this will be probably the greatest ministry I've ever done with the last years of my life. So looking forward to what the future holds. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've heard of Eddie Nichols. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, not much. Yeah. But we were just talking. You were director at the Boys Club when I was playing high school football in the yep. – Boys Club was next door to the field house, so that's that's where we met. But through the years, you've just kind of uh, you've kind of had a, a unique ministry. You haven't been on staff at a church in quite a while, but you've ministered to a lot of people and a lot of down and out people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember hearing, uh, you know, there were some guys one time told me that that they were living in a house that you had found oh. for them. <laughs> Probably don't need to even tell, talk about yeah. that. But you've done those kind of things for years where you've just kind of taken people in unofficially and helped them out. Tell, tell us some of the things you've been involved with. Well, they're with. probably telling you the truth. Um, we were given a, a transition home uh, over on Cherry Street downtown. And, uh, you know, we go in and we didn't have any money to fix the house up, didn't have any money to put power or water or anything. And I remember I got a call from a church, and they said, we got this uh, – homeless guy that keeps coming in the church and he stinks and you think you might could talk to him and anyway I remember jumping this curb in my expedition and driving out through the woods where he was and um, he was the first one I put in that house and I remember uh, saying to him um, I'm so sorry that I don't have any water and I don't have any power and he said the most profound thing to me he said you saw where I was living out there under that sheet this right here it's the best thing I've had in a long time, so don't apologize for it. And I and I realized right then, you know, it's not that you got to give them big stuff. You mm-hmm. just got to show them that you care, that they are somebody. There's potential in their life, and God created them for greatness. And if they see that and believe that you believe that in them, it's amazing the transformation that you can see sometimes with them. Yeah, and so you were just doing this on your own. I mean, oh yeah, like like I said, you didn't have a. Don't have anybody supporting and helping out. You no, just those were some those were some rough things years on your own. You know, financially. Yeah, because um, there was nobody. You've just been a guy that's helped out a lot of people through the years, just kind of on your own, and 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 people have heard about that. You've also ran a ministry, Breakaway Ministries. You do uh, youth camps. What else do you do with Breakaway? Yeah, we've been doing youth camps since uh, 1987. Uh, we had been doing winter camps, but we stopped those uh, in 2018. Well, when we started the uh, Dream Center, and we realized that the winter months, when we do Christmas parties, you know, for two to 300 people, we just can't do both, and and I knew this was the time to call that one quits, so what we did was increased our summer camps to, to four to five camps in the summer, and uh, gosh, we've been doing that for a long time, uh, and basically, we just bring church groups in from, from all over and do a, a more of a smaller, more relationship-building type camp. Yeah, so you've been doing that, and then uh, what? Ten years ago, you started the uh, the Dream Center. Has it been yeah. ten? 
Well, it's been uh, actually 2012, yeah, 10 years that we started seeing the possibility of doing something um, and trying to figure out, you know, where we were going to go from what we were doing at First Baptist because it was time for us to move on from there. Um, But I'll tell you something beautiful that took place. Once we left and in the meantime looking for a location, a bunch of the uh, guys that were coming uh, were gang members. And uh, they began to say, Mr. Eddie, can we just keep doing a Bible study? So we did a Bible study all the way up to COVID from 2012 up until 2020. Started that with uh, about 28. And uh, I realized when one of the 28 robbed the pizza man when he was bringing pizza to us <laughs> that it was time to have a conversation with him from my heart. And I told him, I love you. I'll do anything for you. If you need me, just call me. I'll come pick you up, whatever you need. But if you're not sincere about wanting to know about God's Word, then I don't need you to come back. And so it dwindled down to about 12, 13. Um, but, yeah, I, I knew the guy, and I knew exactly who yeah. it was that stole from him. <laughs> and I said, Dave, man, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Adley, how did you know it was me? I, well, that's pretty obvious. Uh, but, yeah, that was beautiful to see that, and I still – can ride down on the strip and see these guys. Uh, I just saw one yesterday at 6.30 in the morning at uh, Walmart. And he saw me. He works there, and they came up and hugged me and said, Mr. Ed, and he was talking to his girlfriend on the phone. Um, she's a teacher across the street from the Dream Center and was talking about who I was and how much it meant to him to have me in his life. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, it's funny. You think, well, what's no white dude doing with a bunch of gang members? I still don't know, but I just showed them I loved them and poured uh, God's word in their heart, and the rest is history. And you've been doing that for for years and years in our community yep. here, and and a lot of people know that. But the Dream Center's kind of formalized that, so you're doing an after school program. You got a lot of you did a big Christmas event of uh, toys yep. and things, and you're doing doing an after school program, a kind of a mentoring program, mm-hmm. and it's in an area where I mean it's the area I grew up in, as a matter of fact, and uh, where there's a need. There's people that are hungry. Boy, that's a community that, that needs hope and um, really needs what we're doing. And, you know, I told you earlier, we really believe that we're going to change a community and uh, eventually change this city by investing in the life of a child. Yes. Yeah. When we begin to invest in that child's life, next thing you know, we're getting moms and dads where there are dads, uh, grannies, siblings. Yeah. And we're able to form a relationship, not with just one child anymore, but seven or eight in the family. Yeah. And so we're seeing that happen. Let's talk about that in relation right. to, to fatherhood. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. You've spent your whole life mentoring. That's basically what you've done. And what is it? What is a kid missing when he doesn't have a dad? You've had a lot of them that didn't have a dad. What are they missing? You know, the biggest thing is, and you hear it all the time, is just that male role model. Um, They don't have opportunities to do a lot that uh, a child with a father does, Uh, whether that be teach them how to play basketball. You'd be surprised the number of kids that I had, those gang members, that couldn't shoot ball. You know, we we had them out there on Tuesday nights, and it was really strange to me how many of them couldn't even shoot a layup with with Mm. not awkwardness. Um, But you you take for granted that they know these things, but they don't. They they don't have that role model to – teach them how to change oil in a car, to, mm-hmm. to teach them how to dress for an interview. You know, none of those things that you take for granted when the dad's not present, much less somebody in there to lead them spiritually um, and, and guide them in the right direction. 
What do you think this does to our society? What 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 are the effects of that? From a guy who's been in the trenches, oh, you listen, can you can speak to this. Well, you see it today. Um, the more the more that we can believe that the government is going to be the savior of the world, and the more that people can buy into that, it's called well, I call it generational curse. Mm-hmm. Granny was on it. Mama was on it. My brothers and sisters on it. I'm going to be on it. And I'm trying to show them there is a different way. There's a better way. You know, you're a perfectly healthy 19-year-old young man. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to Walmart. Now, I said to this guy this one time, and his mom got so mad at me. She's getting a check on five kids. And I'm telling him, go ahead and give your mom $780. You'll still have about 700 more working at Walmart. And you know the crazy thing is, now he and his brother both have got their own place to live. They're out on their own. But those are the kind of things that the government going to come back one day and they're going to call back on you yeah. and they want a favor from you. And if you don't, I mean, think about it. EBT cards aren't food stamps anymore. They're cards. Yeah. What they get in the mail doesn't happen anymore. It's put on their card. And one day the government's going to be able to shut that down if you don't play ball with them. And I've been talking to them about that for, gosh, 10, 15 years. And that's part of what's important for us as mentors and guys that are reaching out those fatherless to those fatherless kids is we've, we've got to teach them a better way of doing things. Yes. And it's not all about money. It's, it's about purpose in life, really. It's, it's about emotional health. These guys are growing up depending on the government, the families are, and they don't have any sense of worth. They're just, yeah. they're just leeches, just yep. soaking it yep. all in. I think one of the things that you've done in, in your mentoring is you've tried to teach guys that that's not right. And they, you know, these guys didn't have a dad to teach them that that's right. not right, but you've tried to show them the, the right way to do it. And I have too, but it's tough. So one of the things that you've done that I think we should all appreciate is you've tried to re-educate guys. And you've reached out and you, you've loved on, on, on young people in the community and just tried to, to flip the – the situation, the script. Tell me about, though, your relationship with your dad, because that all yeah. plays into this. Well, you know, <clears throat> my dad was a total opposite from me. Um, he was quiet. He was very reserved. Didn't say a whole lot. You know, he's the kind that when he said something, though, everybody listened to him. Um, he was chairman of the deacons, chairman of the finance committee, uh, chairman of everything, Sunday school teacher for 40 years at East Gaston. But, you know, that was the kind of guy he was. And he and my mother were divisional sales reps, uh, managers for World Book and Childcraft back in the days when you had encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. They had a territory that encompassed about 600 miles, you know, 200 this way, 200 this way. I never saw them much during the week. We'd go to school and come back, and it'd be later at night. There'd be somebody there to watch us and to cook for us. Um, so I didn't get to, to be there with him a lot like I feel like I've been with my children because they were trying their best to better – our life for us, allow us to have the opportunity to go to college. You know, they worked the fields. If their mom and dad need to work in the fields, they didn't go to school. They call they farmed them out uh, yeah. to make some yeah. money. Well, they, they wanted better for us. And so I never counted that against them. Um, I look back now and I'm thankful for the time I've got to spend with my children. Uh, but I don't hold any grudges, you know, because of, of him not being in my life as, as much as I wish he could have been. Yeah, what do you what do you think he did right in terms of raising you up to be a compassionate person? You know, I tell you what he did. It's crazy. It's going to sound impossible, uh, but we didn't go many places together. I mean, we went on vacations sometimes. But um, out of the blue, in 1969, he uh, 
took me to see Tom Seaver against Phil Necro in the National mm-hmm. League Championship Series. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it was one of those things where it's supposed to be a pitcher's duel, and we went and it wasn't a pitcher's duel. And we got through. The minute the game was over, he whisked me off. I had no idea where we were going. He whisked me off, and we went to Tuscaloosa. And we got there just in time to see Archie Manning play against Scott Hunter in wow. one of the greatest football games I've ever seen in my life when Alabama eked it out at the end. Um, that game didn't start till 8.30 at night, hmm. you know, which is wild because they tried to get Lawrence Welk to move his show back, and he wouldn't, so they had to wait till 8.30 <laughs> to start it, which allowed us to get there. And I think it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning before we got So your dad on. took you to see a – Pro baseball game and a college football game in the same day? I guess he figured he wasn't going to be able to do it anymore, so let's just get it all in one day. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that. You know, when people say, hey, which game did you like the best? Which Well, I don't have that choice. Yeah. I like the 69 World Series, and I like Archie Manning against Scott Hunter. Yeah. I'll never forget those days. So what what was it like spending that day? Was it just you and your dad? Just me and my dad. It was like one of those things where for a little while you don't know how to respond. He talked more. You yeah. know, I actually saw him cheer. At the Bama game, because uh, we were big Alabama fans, um, but we got in the car and I pretty much dozed off because I was dead. I, I can't imagine what he was at the time because he was probably fifty-two or so at the at the time. Mm-hmm. Never complained about the time, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget the next day. Tell him how much I appreciated and enjoyed doing that. I said I'll never forget that as long as I live. Well, you know, there's a message in that, Eddie, because that's been fifty-four years, and you're still talking about well, it. It's, it's the greatest memory I have with my dad. Yeah, you know, it's the. Uh, I have to tell you this part. One of the things he told, talked, or taught me was how much he loved my mom. Um, I was a senior at Gadsden High School. The um, the school year was about over, and uh, he they worked me like a slave, and I hated it. I was a little five ten fat boy, and I hated that stuff. Weed eating and doing the the hedges and mowing the grass. You know, you didn't have rod mowers then. It was push mowers. Sometimes we had one that had a mower on it. Sometimes you didn't. And then farming me out for a dollar to the next door neighbor to mow her big old <laughs> mansion yard. And and I got to the point one day where I thought, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'd been over there and um, I was cutting the hedges and I got stung by a whole bunch of wasps. And that was it. That was the final straw. So at Friday, I took the money up from my carpool. I said, I'm not going to be here this afternoon. Y'all need to get a ride home. And I took that money and I drove to my brother's house in Macon, Georgia. He worked for the power company. And uh, I didn't know this, but they were packing up to leave to move to Brunswick on Saturday. And uh, I called Friday night. And they were worried about me, and I talked to my sister, and she started crying on the phone. And <clears throat> my dad got on the phone and said, where are you? And I said, I'm down here with your other son, and I'm not coming home. I'm tired of being worked like that and all these things. You know, I'm laying all of, all of my <laughs> demands on the table. And uh, he said, well, I think you need to come home. Uh, He said, we'll talk about it when you get home. But, you know, your brother's moving. I said, I know that. And he said, so it's probably not wise to go with him. And I remember driving back from Macon, Georgia, thinking I had achieved greatness. Uh, You know, I had laid out all my demands, and they were fixing to be met. And this is the true story. I I got home, and uh, he said to me, we're going to get up Sunday morning, and we're going to drive to Brunswick. We're going to go see your brother. I want to see where they're moving. And we're going to leave in time to get there, in time to see the sunrise. I said, well, that sounds great. Here we go. So we get up probably like 1 o'clock in the morning. 
which is weird. And, and we drive, and he smoked a cigar, and he was puffing on that thing, and I was sleeping. We got there in time, right on the beach, to see the sunrise. And he said, uh, I want to give you something. And he gave me a brand-new wristwatch. And I said, Dad, I mean, what's this for? And he said, I just want to tell you something. Next time you decide to run away, if you'll let me know, I'll give you some money. And I said, now, why would you do that? And he said, Ew. He said, you broke your mother's heart, and you'll never do that again. So next time you run away, I don't want you coming back. And I thought, wow. You know, it was quiet for a long time after this. I just soaked that in. But he loved my mom enough that he won't let me hurt her again. Mm-hmm. That's resonated with me for, gosh, the rest of my life. I've, I've done a miserable job compared to him loving my wife as much as he loved her. But he taught me that lesson um, and showed me right now I didn't get any of my demands met. I yeah. still had to cut grass. But <laughs> I had a whole different perspective because I knew if I ran away, there wasn't going to be a roof over my head. So he made an impression on you by showing you that 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 his his wife, your mom, was the queen. Was the queen? Yeah, and I was a jester at best. Yeah, so he taught you work ethic. Sure taught did. you Taught you that he loved your mom. Yep, and that gave you a sense of security. I, I absolutely, think. absolutely. You knew that that family was going to be intact. I knew he was going to always be there for me. He might not might not show it sometimes because he was working so hard himself. But I I knew, and you know. When we started breakaway, my mom and dad, up until he died, never missed a breakaway. Really? For 20-something years, they came to all the summer camps, came to all the winter camps, and we had a little place over there for them sitting in a bench um, that they sat in and uh, got to share their testimony with the kids and know them. And that, that probably meant more to me, to be honest with you, than him spending time with me growing up, to know that here's this time in my life when I've developed into something that I never thought I'd be, and I know they didn't think I would be, and then here they are. You know, he died uh, bringing the clothes up to go to our winter conference, had a, had a massive heart attack on the steps and fell down them and died um, two days before we were leaving for winter camp. And uh, that's, that's the testimony of how much he loved me, that he was proud of me. Didn't have to say it often, yeah. but he was proud of me. And uh, by coming to those things, and I could look off the stage and see them in the corner and know, hey. Yeah. He does love me. So the message there is, you know, as a kid, he was busy. Yes. And, and a lot of guys are busy. Yeah. But he, he still lets you know he loved you. And, yeah. and as an adult, he kind of made up for some lost he time. Did. It he did. Like. Yeah, so you never felt felt like you were alone or rejected or anything no, like that. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, I hate to say it, but I think I've done that in my own life. I, I think I neglected my kids growing up because I had all these young people. You know, for 15 years, I'm going to the ball games on Friday. I have different mm-hmm. retreats that we're doing on the weekends and then camps that I'm taking them to. And during the week, they're wanting to go hang out after school. And, you know, I didn't realize this till a few years ago, and we're looking at a bunch of pictures. And um, one of my boys said, Dad, where are you? Mm. I said, I'm in there somewhere. And my wife said, no, you're not. No, I'm sure you're at one of your camps or you're at one of the ball games or, or something like that. And it just made me realize that as the, my boys got older, I began to pour my life into them. I began to spend time with them. I began to let them be part of the ministry that I was doing. I tried to make up for lost time. Um, matter of fact, I went to breakaway when Jonathan was born. I left First Baptist because I realized with three kids, I can't do what I've been doing anymore. I'm going to have to be here for my wife and be here for my other children. 
you know, with two kids, you can handle that one. But the third one, you got to punt because you ain't got enough hands. Mm -hmm. And it, it brought the reality into my life that I need to be here for my family. And that's when I really woke up and hopefully did enough to yeah. make them proud to call me their dad. Yeah, so many times we get so involved in doing the good things that we forget to do the things that we should yeah. have been doing in the first yeah. place. Yeah, that's a message for a lot of guys, I'm afraid. Well, we we make an excuse sometimes that we're going to put church in, in its priority, uh, but it's not. You know, it's God, then family. And it wasn't like that in my life for a long time. It was God, then church, then family. And uh, I'm glad somewhere along the line I saw the reality of that and changed. What do your kids mean to you? Oh, my gosh. They're everything. Tell, tell us about them. You know, I have such a diverse group of children. Um, Josh is a musician. Uh, great. Colin and I were talking a minute ago. Um, abundant gifts. Videoing. And, and um, Jonathan is um, Jonathan's Jonathan. Smart. One of the smartest kids I've ever been around in my life. Uh, he's got the world by the tail rather than <laughs> the world, than uh, it got him by the tail. And he's got all kind of ideas. Reminds me a lot of myself. He's got ideas, and his mind's constantly going. And then Jessica, she's she's just my princess. She's always been my beautiful princess. Um, you know, uh, we adopted her. We weren't able to have children. And uh, she began praying for brothers. And I remember one night I was up there, and we were having prayer, and she turned and she said, uh, Dad, when's God going to give me some brothers? And I went to my wife, and I said, I don't know what to say. I mean, that's not a fair question because we're not having children. And um, we'd be going to school. She'd be in the back seat, and she'd say, Dad, when's God going to give me brothers? And I said, Baby, you know what? You're all we're ever going to have, and we're going to spoil you rotten. Mm -hmm. You're all we're going to have. And, Scott, you know, you teach your students about faith. You get breakaway talking about faith, and your own daughter is asking you, and you're writing off the fact that God can do the impossible. So she bypassed me. She quit asking me on the way to school. She'd look out and say, God, when are you going to give me my brothers? And uh, lo and behold, on a Father's Day, my wife and I are in the bedroom. She comes in with her hands behind her back and said, Happy Father's Day, Dad, and she didn't have nothing. And I said, Baby, what are you? You ain't got me nothing. She said, We got you a baby brother. And I said, yeah, sure you did. I looked at my wife, and she nodded. And I said, Jessica, you, you think you could kind of step out and let me talk to your mom a minute? <laughs> and I said, June, I've not even met the mom. I didn't know anything about this. And she said, no, I'm fixing to have a little boy. Whew, that's Josh. Wow. And then two years later, there's Jonathan. And then I sat down, Jessica, and I said, Jessica, I really need you to quit praying for any more children. Because <laughs> I'm going to be 108 by the time Jonathan's a high school senior, and that's just not going to be fair to him. But it's because of the faith of a child that she believed what I didn't believe was possible. And I could go into detail why it was impossible. The doctor said there's no chance and all that, but God doesn't know impossible. Mm. So now she's given me two grandchildren. I call them Thunder and Lightning. They're seven and five, and I love them just about as much as I could love anything in the world. Yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you hope that your kids think about you what, what, what would you want them to say if you were gone you know i once said somebody said what would you like on your on your headstone and i said if you could just put these words he lived for his savior every day that'd be enough if my kids could see that my love for god was above anything else in my life that i believed that no matter what other people saw as impossible that if he gave me a vision and a dream that 
I did everything I could to see it come to pass. And to know that I loved him as much as I loved them and my wife, that I loved him more. And if they could see that, then I feel like I was successful. Yeah. What What, what does it take for the sake of a guy who's not grown up with a dad? You've, you've, you've known a lot of those oh, guys. Yeah. Let's just address them. We always look in the camera and address those guys. Yeah. Over what, the, just, um, you know, what does it take to, to, to be a great dad? You know, first of all, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is at best, and everything you do, put God first, and he'll direct your paths and crown your efforts with success. If you don't start them off with Jesus, I'll just put it that simply, and, and you don't get them involved in church, believe it or not, and you don't teach them the word of God, and you don't show them that by the way that you live, then their foundation is going to be shaky for the rest of their life. But once you've achieved that in their life, then you need to understand there's something called unconditional love. It doesn't matter what they turn out to be. You still got to love them. It doesn't matter if they achieved what you wanted them to achieve. And we have a lot of dads living their life through their children these days. You got to love them for who they are. And know God's got a purpose for them. And listen to this. His purpose for them is greater than yours. So don't be that stumbling block that doesn't allow them to find why God created them. And then last but not least, consistency. You got to be consistent. In the way you love them, you got to be consistent in the way you discipline them. And you got to be consistent going that I'm going to treat this one just like I treat this one just like. And that's hard. That's hard. But that's what I would challenge you with uh, as you're raising your own children up. So, Eddie, considering that you've worked with a lot of guys who grew up fatherless, tell us from your perspective, as a guy, again, that's been in the trenches, what is the pain like? Is there a level of pain that they experience? Uh, do, do they know that, that they're missing something? Um, oh, yeah. They, there's a feeling of abandonment that all of them have. Um, they don't have what others have, and there's a resentment that builds up inside of them. You know this as well as I do. There's an anger that builds up, and a lot of the anger that you find in a young man comes from the fact that he doesn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. He's never had a dad, and I've heard him curse the father's name i've heard him say that i could care less if he came in my life right now um and there's a feeling of almost hopelessness because they think i cannot ever be what i'm supposed to be because i never had a dad but boy that's a lie mm-hmm. that's a lie and a lot of them use that as a crutch um, that, that i've had in this bible study group that i did i'm telling you right now there might have been out of that 28 two of them that had fathers maybe really? two yeah really? yeah well I want to do, allow you a chance to do something. Okay. You, you, you spoke of your dad, mm-hmm. and I know he's, he's passed away, but yeah. if, you could, if you could speak to your dad one last time, what would you want to say to him? Wow, boy, that's a good one. Um, pretty much that as I got older, I realized that you being there or not being there for times was not a choice that you really wanted to make. Um, it's something you felt you had to do to provide for all of us, to give me the opportunity to graduate from Jackson State University, uh, to be able to go into ministry and to know that, honestly, any time I ever needed you, you were always there for me. Also, those times you had me weed-eating and hoeing the garden and made me get a job when my friends didn't have jobs, riding a stupid bicycle with a giant basket delivering papers, 
it developed a work ethic in me that I wouldn't change for anything in the world. And uh, one day I'll be able to tell you that personally. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of your boys, uh, who's almost 30 now, I guess. Uh, pushing it. Yeah. He's a musician. Yeah, it's hard to believe he's almost thirty. Woo. And uh, he he wrote a very he wrote a song about you as a dad. He did. And we may we may get that, but he also left a a tribute for you. We'd like to okay. share it with you. Hey, my name is Josh. I'm Eddie's oldest son, and the thing I like most about my dad is he's always willing to go the extra mile with people and for people. He is the embodiment of that passage in Philippians that tells us to consider other people more important than ourselves. And there's been moments in my childhood where I watched him do this. There's been moments in my uh, developmental years where I watched him do this. There's been moments in my adulthood where I've seen him do this. And it's created a legacy in my own life where I've looked for opportunities to serve other people above myself because of how my dad led me in that growing up. Uh, one of my favorite stories of my dad is, I remember it vividly, we were eating lunch at Logan's in Gadsden before they closed down. Rest in peace, Logan's. And uh, someone who knew my dad came over to our table very briefly and just said, hey, Eddie, I've got something for you after lunch. If you'll just come by my car, then I'll, I'll hand it to you. And I remember leaving that place, hopping in my car, and it wasn't five minutes of me being on the road before I get a phone call from my dad who is just sobbing. I can't understand a word he's saying. He's just overwhelmed with emotion. And uh, when he finally was able to speak uh, clearly, he, he just said to me, if there's nothing else you remember from me in this life, there's nothing else I teach you. I want you to always know that God provides. Someone had given him a very large amount of money. This was a season where there was not a whole lot of money coming in. It was a season where the Dream Center was in desperate need of renovations, which required money, and we didn't have it. It was a season where uh, my dad was was really just walking in faith and trusting that the Lord was going to provide. And so this was one of those monumental moments where he did. And uh, it's just been story after story like that since that day. But I remember that being the moment where I was like, man, God's got us and he's got my dad and he's got this dream center under control. And so uh, I love the fact that he immediately took any glory and uh, praise for himself of being able to raise those kind of funds. And he, directed it back to Jesus. And he reminds me of John the Baptist in that, who immediately when people come onto the scene to see what it's all about, this godly man, this follower of the Lord making a way, uh, the second he gets the opportunity to see Jesus, he directs all the attention off of him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so my dad's been a great role model in that. And I'm just super grateful that I have stories and experiences like I do um, that have been able to shape and mold me as his son and as a leader in my own right. And so dad, I love you. I'm so excited. They're doing this podcast with you. You deserve it. And the city of Gadsden and the world needs to know the story of the Megan Kelly dream center. And they need to know the story of Eddie Nichols, who is a faithful, obedient servant of God. And I've seen it with my own two eyes and I'm so grateful to be your son. I love you. Wow. How does that make, how does that make you feel? World. Yep. <laughs> yep. you're one of those guys who's reached out and cared for those people so thank you for what you did and for setting that example mm. and I, I think you'll never know the impact you've had but you, you don't care to know yeah. it doesn't really matter if you know or not but you'll never know the impact you've had on so many lives and we i just want to thank you on behalf of the folks 
for my little town here. Josh has learned, as I hope all mine have, the faithfulness of God. That just because the world sees it as impossible, if God leads, he's going to provide. My daughter said to me, Dad, all your friends are retiring. When are you retiring? And I said, Babe, you don't retire from what I do. You just die. And she said, well, that's morbid. I went, no, I can't think of a better way to go than doing what the Lord called you and created you to do. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. We appreciate you, Eddie. That'll conclude this episode of That's My Dad, where we're inspiring fathers to be great dads and we're breaking cycles of generational fatherlessness. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.